The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. I hope you had a great week, and I hope your next week is even greater. I am still working away in the final draft of Shakedown, the Crypt Book One. It is a bit of a slog. My new editor at Athon Books really dug into the writing style and the grammar, and there's some great stuff in her edits, but it creates a bit of a problem in that I'm using Word for Mac, and there are 9,000 edits and changes in the manuscript. 9,000. That destroys Word's ability to process anything. So I am dealing with a lot of spinning wheels. And yes, I am on the latest and greatest updated Word for Mac, M1 MacBook Pro, up-to-date Mac OS. It's not the gear, it's the software. So we're trying to figure out some ways around it, but it is an unexpected fly in the ointment because it's hard to get a flow for the story when the revision pane keeps popping up for no apparent reason. And when it does, the computer grinds to a halt for five to 10 seconds. Now that may not sound like a lot of time, We'll multiply 5 to 10 seconds by 9,000 and you get an idea, plus the constant, constant interruption of the writer's flow. So any word for Mac experts out there who can help, throw an email to info at emptyset.com if you like. That is word for Mac, not for Windows. Any Windows experts, I appreciate you trying to help out, but they are different programs and the Windows solution to this issue is not available for Word for Mac. All right, enough of my whining. Let's get you caught up on the story so far, and then we're all going to go look in Grandma's attic for that haunted doll. For four years, he has dreamed of this moment. He has worked harder than anyone else to seize it. Quentin Barnes is about to start his first game of upper-tier football. Can he lead his Inath Krakens to a victory over the Wittok Pioneers? Find out next on The Rookie, episode number 15. The following editorial commentary is the sole opinion of the silent universe and does not necessarily reflect the views of the Galactic Football League, the Kretorakian Empire, or this broadcast station. All right, you know what? I have to admit it. Limbaugh was right on this one. At best, this Quentin Barnes character, he's a mediocre quarterback. And you know, furthermore, the PNFL commentators, they overrate him because he's the best that they've got. Now, last week... Uh, this PNFL spokeshole, his name was uh, Charles Limbaugh. He resigned from his post on the Promised Land Network because of this huge firestorm that erupted because he said Quentin Barnes wasn't that good of a quarterback and that the purest nation overrates players like him because they want to see their quarterbacks do well. I have just one word for you, people. Duh. Now, call me a heretic, but it's probably a good thing that the Bats took over for these ignoramuses. 
Forget the PC bullcrap for a moment. These drecks, they represent the lowest backwater idiotness that humankind has ever produced. It would help raise the average IQ in the rest of the gene pool if we just shipped off all of our idiots to the purest nation. Trust me, they'd be in good company. Expecting a PNFL quarterback to do anything but get turned into roadkill in the upper tiers, it, it's like expecting a quadriplegic to win champion swimming in the Olympics. It just ain't gonna happen. Now, despite his, you know, okay performance in the lower league, Barnes has never had to associate with non-humans, ever. Now, this just reminds me of an old story that my mother once told me. There's a scorpion, he's walking across the bank of a river, and he's wondering how to get across to the other side. So he sees this fox, and he says to the fox, hey, put me on your back and take me across the river. And the fox is like, no, if I do that, you'll sting me and I'll drown. But the scorpion's like, hey, if I did that, we'd both drown. So the fox thinks about it, and he finally agrees, and the scorpion climbs on his back, and the fox starts to swim. But sure enough, halfway across the river, the scorpion stings him. And the poison fills his veins, and the fox turns to the scorpion and says, Why did you do that? Now you'll drown too. And you know what he says, the scorpion? I couldn't help it. It's my nature. Now the same applies to the purest nation. They're bred to be brute, stupid, backwards idiots, and they know nothing about the god they're always screeching about. After having it pounded into your head for all your life that aliens are demons, how are you supposed to share a locker room with them? No matter how good he seems in the lower tiers, this Barnes character, he's headed for failure. You know why? Because, like the Scorpion, it's in his nature. He stood at the front of the pack. The Krakens players crammed into the tunnel. It seemed wider than the one at Ionath Stadium. Wider and newer. In fact, Everything about the stadium reeked of newness, from the full wall of multi-race vending machines in the team lobby to the smart carpet that changed to suit each player's preference, even as they walked side by side down the hall. The communications equipment, of course, was state-of-the-art, but what else would you expect from a stadium sponsored by a communications company like Earth Ansible and Messenger? The stadium's quality, however, faded to insignificance as the game fever started to overtake Quentin. The Krakens players grunted and clacked and chirped and bounced and twitched with the anticipation of battle. Pheromones filled the air, the thick scent of key aggression combining with the tang of human sweat. An electrical charge ripped through the unified mass of players, passing from one end to the other and back again and again. It is time to draw the yeah, battle lines, Yasud yeah. said from somewhere in the back, his voice muffled by the tight press of bodies packed into the tunnel. We will accept Condor's gifts. The Sklerner referred to Condor Adrian, the Pioneer's star quarterback. The other Sklernos chirped excitedly, yes. all of them bouncing yes. up and down, unable to contain the energy that filled their body. Yeah. The sensation built up quickly, thickly, so intense that Quentin couldn't even think. He could only feel like an animal waiting to pounce. It was like the last two games, but it was different. This time, they were his to command, his to lead. This was the moment he'd waited for all of his life. Here are your visitors, the Ionath Krakens! <laughs> Mumakillery roared in his deep, warlike voice, and the team surged out of the tunnel to the deafening sound of booze. 
Small hard items plinked off their armor, and bits of wet matter, cold and hot, spilled down on them as they ran onto the field. Quentin covered his head as he looked up into the stands. It was an endless sea of midnight blue and neon green, the colors of the Wittok pioneers. He reached the sidelines, and the kraken surged round him like a python, everywhere at once, pressing in, their eyes on him, their breath in his face and on his neck. They bounced and surged and punched and clawed like a tiger in a cage. Quentin started to speak, but John Tweedy beat him to it. This is it! This is it! We're one and one! We need this win! We want it more than they do! We must destroy this house! The Krakens roared and clicked and jumped and pushed. Quentin felt a rush of anger. He was the quarterback. The team should be looking to him, not to Tweedy. Pine is out, so we gotta pull together! This is war! We take the battle to them! Now let's go kick their asses! The team surged even tighter one last time, bouncing Quentin around like a cork in a typhoon. And then the huddle broke, and the players wandered away, preparing for the game. Quentin fumed on the sidelines. They still didn't give him enough respect. Well, they could all disrespect him when he suited up in the blood red when Tier 1 season began, and they were all at home, watching the holos. The Pioneers won the toss, received the kick, and started with the ball on their own 28. Condor Adrian, the Pioneers quarterback, wasted no time dropping back on the very first play. His offensive line, a huge wall of key averaging 585 pounds, gave him all the time in the world. Adrian launched a deep pass to a streaking receiver who sprang high in the air. Davenport, the Kraken's right cornerback, went up high as well, but she was just a step behind. The ball floated down just an inch away from her outstretched tentacles to drop perfectly into the waiting grip of Banger, the Pioneer's receiver. The two players came down as one, but Davenport stumbled on impact. Banger sprinted the remaining 15 yards into the end zone. Ain't that a bitch? Giant pom-poms and flags, all midnight blue lined with neon green, waved in the air, making the 181,500-plus crowd seem a single, massive anemone. The kick was good. The first play of the game found the Wittock Pioneers up 7 to nothing. The offense gathered to take the field, and again Quentin was cut off, this time by Mitchell Fayad. Looks like we've got our work cut out for us, men. Let's go get that touchdown back! Richfield returned the kick to the Kraken's 30. The offense ran onto the field to the concentrated boos of 181,500 fans. The pompons and banners vanished like that same anemone pulling in its flowery tentacles at the first hint of danger. As the players huddled up, Quentin took one quick look around the stadium. Boy, they sure do love us here, don't they? We won here two seasons ago, said Yataro Kobayashi, the tight end. The crowd rioted. 27 beings died before they got it under control. They sure do take this shit seriously, said Tom Perilous, the fullback. Man, you gotta love it. Quentin raised his hands, demanding everyone's attention. Okay, boys, time to take care of business. He tapped his right ear hole to activate the heads-up display inside his visor. Hokor had already specified the first 20 offensive plays. Quentin knew them by heart, having reread the list at least a hundred times to make sure he knew every step of every player for each and every play. Fifteen were running plays, 
in the five short passing plays. Not a deep bomb in the bunch. But he checked again, just to be sure. The first play, Y set, belly right. He tapped the button and the list of plays disappeared from the visor. All right, boys, Y set, belly right. On one, on one. Ready? Break! The Krakens moved to the line. The booing intensified. Pure hate distilled from over 180,000 beings. Quentin surveyed the defense. The Pioneers' D had given up 21 points a game. They won games with Adrian's arm, not defense. The middle linebacker, Kagan the Crazy, was a thickly built Quith warrior and the most dangerous player on the team. He loved to blitz, especially delayed blitzes, and already had three sacks in the first two games. The defensive line was nothing special, allowing an average of 168 yards on the ground, hence Coach Hokor's emphasis on the running game. Hokor wanted to control the ball and keep Adrian off the field as much as possible. Quen scanned the defensive backfield and recognized his opponents for the afternoon. Palatine, the right cornerback, Tumwater, the safety, Westland, the free safety, and Belgrade, the left corner. The stats and tendencies of all four defensive backs suddenly popped into his thoughts. Information seemed to flood into his brain as if from an outside pipeline. Belgrade had poor speed. She often gave up long passes over the top. Tumwater was playing with a hurt right tentacle, and in the last game, she had avoided big hits. Palatine was a good right corner, but lacked the height and jumping ability to match premier receivers. Westland, a five-year vet, was built much thicker than most Glorno and was known for her devastating hits. Green 19! Green 19! Hut! Quentin turned to the right and handed off to Fayette. The Pioneers linebackers came quickly on a run blitz, knocking Fayette backwards, stuffing the play at the line of scrimmage. Quentin looked to the sidelines, but Hokor said nothing over the ear speaker. Quentin tapped his heads-up display to double-check the next play. Another run. He sighed and formed up the huddle. As the first quarter wore on, it became obvious that the Pioneers were not going to let Mitchell the Machine Fayad run wild. They run-blitzed, they stacked linebackers in the gaps, and didn't use pass coverage formations like the nickel package, even on third and long. The Kraken's first two possessions were three and out. Quentin didn't even throw his first pass until the end of the first quarter, a completion to Kobayashi for seven yards. The Pioneers clearly didn't fear this rookie quarterback in his first start. They practically dared Hokor to beat them with the pass. Adrian struck again in the second quarter, hitting Westchester for a 52-yard strike. Quentin burned with jealousy at the Pioneer quarterback's long touchdown passes. He knew he could match the performance, especially against the run-oriented Pioneers' defense. But he wasn't going to question Hokor anymore. He'd run the plays that were called. He felt his pulse quicken when he took the field late in the second quarter, and Hokor finally outlined a passing attack. Why that double post? Test them downfield. If it's not open, you don't throw it. Got it? Quentin nodded as he moved to the huddle and called the play. The team seemed a bit listless in the huddle, as if they had already conceded defeat. The only way to get them going, Quentin knew, was with a sustained drive or a big play. He broke the huddle and lined up. 
the Pioneers still showed a run defense, leaving Haywick and Scarborough covered with only woman-to-woman coverage. Quentin called himself, knowing he had to be cool to take advantage of this opportunity. Blue 15! Blue 15! Hot, hot! He dropped straight back, eyes following Haywick, over to Scarborough, then back to Haywick again. She already had a step on her defender. Quentin stepped up to throw, but the pocket collapsed almost immediately. A huge key lineman bore down on him from the left. Quentin dodged to his right, still looking downfield, but he sensed pressure on that side as well. He stepped up into the pocket, where Kagan met him head-on with a hit that knocked Quentin flat on his ass. It was like being smacked with a wrecking ball. His eyes scrunched in pain. Quentin heard the continuing ooh of the crowd as holo monitors in each end zone replayed the hit. With second and long, Hokor called another pass. Kagan blitzed again. Quentin didn't have time to throw downfield and had to settle for a quick five-yard strike to Warburg. The Krakens tried a draw on the next play and got nowhere. Defeated once again, the offense ran off the field as the punt team came on. Quentin took off his helmet and threw it at the bench in disgust. He couldn't make things happen if he didn't have time to throw. He'd studied the Pioneers' games over and over again. Their defensive line wasn't anything special. He had to get his offensive line motivated. He stood and started walking down the bench to where the key linemen were huddled in their big ball, but stopped. Donald Pine was already in front of them. Pine leaned heavily on his crutches, their tops digging into his armpits, leaving his hands free to flail about. He wildly gestured first to the lineman, then to the field, then up in the air, then back again. Pine looked furious, madder than Quentin had ever seen him. Pine was bitching them up one side and down the other, and Quentin didn't have to wonder what it was for. Why is he doing that? That's my job. Why? Why was he doing it? Because the lineman listened to Pine. Once again, Don Pine seemed to be helping him, not sabotaging him. Had he done the same thing in making Denver offer to help with passing practice? In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? 
Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. At halftime, the game seemed to have slipped away. The Krakens were down 21-3, their only score coming on a nice 52-yard field goal by Horace El Rahim. Quentin saw possibilities on almost every play, or thought he saw them, but he wasn't about to alter Hokor's calls. Maybe it was like before, like in the Hydra's game, and Hokor knew something that he didn't. He'd made the most of the few opportunities that came his way, hitting 5 of 11 passes for 82 yards. The completions were nice, but he spent most of the first half flat on his back, either knocked down after the pass or dragged down for one of three first-half sacks. That was more sacks than he'd suffered his entire season with the Raiders. No touchdown passes and one interception when a key tentacle deflected his pass at the line of scrimmage. he had also scrambled for 22 rushing yards, far more out of necessity than choice. On the Kraken's home field, he could have run for much more, but the Pioneer Field's slippery footing made it hard for him to make sharp cuts. The visitors' central locker room filled with beings dressed in orange leg armor with black trim and white jerseys stained with streaks of oily yellow. Hokor stood in the middle of the circular room, his fur extended to its full length. Offensive line, you've got to come up with some kind of blocking. We're getting killed out there. I don't know what they're doing on defense, but we're looking for a clue. Figure it out and block, goddammit! Hokor ranted and raved about the offensive line's poor showing, but much like Pine's lecture on the sidelines, nobody seemed to care. The Pioneers walked away with the game, winning by an embarrassing score of 35-10. to Fayette had managed one big play, breaking three tackles for a 24-yard touchdown run, and the Kraken's only contribution to the weekly ESPN highlight reel. Quentin undressed in his locker, feeling neither happy nor sad about the outcome. He'd played as well as could be expected under the circumstances, the circumstances being that the offensive line didn't really give a shit about protecting him. He'd finished the day 15 of 35 for 186 passing yards, with 37 yards rushing and one interception. His body felt like he'd gone 10 rounds in the octagon with Kalar the undefeated. He thought he'd taken some blows in practice, but now he knew that his own defenders had been holding back, if only just a bit. The humans changed in almost total quiet. They were one and two, already two games out of first place. Their chances of moving up to Tier 1 seemed damn near nil. Nobody spoke, except for Yasud, who went from player to player, asking who was up for a night in Port Wittock's gambling district. As Quentin pulled off his chest armor, Donald Pine hobbled over, the crutches making him awkward as he slowly sat. You played well out there, kid. Quentin shrugged. Not that any of my so-called teammates would notice, or care for that matter. Pine nodded. Oh, they noticed, but you're right. They didn't care. I told you before, there's more to being a quarterback than skill and talent. Listen, Gramps, I don't need a fucking lecture. Now piss off. Pine didn't move. You do need a lecture, Quentin. So did the offensive line, but I already gave them one. Several. 
as a matter of fact. Quentin started to speak, then stopped. He remembered Pine in the sidelines, arms waving like a madman, yelling his head off at 3,000-plus pounds of offensive line. No one else had done that. Not Warburg, not Hokor, not Quentin himself. Just Pine. Okay, say what you gotta say. Kid, you got all the talent in the world. It pours off you like stink from a skunk. Your brain works overtime. I see you coming up with play adjustments that are almost as good as another one of those Kraken's quarterbacks I know. Pine smiled with a joke. Quentin felt some of his stress at being lectured fade away. Pine's humor and that smile had a way of making people feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, that Itzhak is pretty damn creative. <laughs> right, right, kid. So you got all the tools, but as you saw today, the greatest general in the world can't win if the troops won't go to war. The key linemen are not some random beings from their culture. They're soldiers. I've seen normal key citizens, have you? Quentin shrugged. Yeah, just a few in the streets of Ionath. And did they look violent? Did they look strong? Quentin thought back, then shook his head. They didn't look violent at all. In fact, they were human-sized, weighing probably 250 pounds or so, half the weight of a Kraken lineman. He hadn't realized that fact until this very moment. The difference between citizen key and warrior key isn't as dramatic as it is in a quiff culture, where they're completely separate subspecies built for fighting, but it is there. Key soldiers are selected from a very young age, like the equivalent of three years old in humans. They're trained from that time in how to fight, how to kill, how to endure pain and hardship that humans couldn't come close to handling. Most of our linemen have taken Seni at life, Quentin, some with their bare hands, so to speak. All of them participated in ground combat at one point or another. And that's supposed to excuse them for piss-poor blocking? Pine shook his head. No, you don't get it. They love blocking. They love tackling. Physical combat is a huge part of their culture. But they aren't in control of this game. They're not calling the plays. They're just doing what they're told to do. Someone has to lead them. And if they don't respect that someone, they simply don't try as hard. Quentin thought about Pine's words. So... What you're telling me is that the big, mean, deadly key are kind of... sensitive? Pine smiled and nodded. If you don't respect them, they're sure not going to respect you. And if they don't respect you, they're not following you. They're just going through the motions. Quentin looked off in the distance. Yasud flitted about Tom Perilous like a big mosquito. Perilous kept pushing him away, but Yasud just buzzed back again. He obviously had run out of people to go gambling with, and Perilous was his last hope. Quentin turned to look back at Pine. All right. Okay, so, assuming you're right, so what do I do about it? You really want to know? You're not going to like it. Quentin waved his left hand in an inner circular motion, as if to say, come on, come on. The key are a very tight species. They can send nerve impulses through their skin and antenna. That's why they cluster up like that all the time on the sidelines and at night. When they're touching, they can kind of talk without speaking. That also makes for closeness amongst them, gives them a sense of tribe or family. So not only are they sensitive, they're also touchy-feely. Pine shrugged his shoulders. I didn't cause the revolution, I just study it. You act like they're revolting. They are revolting. So what? So fucking what? So they're revolting. Do you want to win football games or not? Quentin nodded. Fine. You have to stop acting like they have the plague. Touch them. Hug them the way you would any human player did something good. 
I, uh, I don't really do hugs. You know what I mean, asshole. Get in your head that you have to stop thinking of different races and start seeing all of them, key, quit, sclono, as your teammates. Quentin's face wrinkled up in guarded suspicion. I don't know, man. This seems a little too, well, like Kretorakian propaganda. That we all have to get along as one giant race of sentience and shit. I mean, come on, does any of this crap really work? Pine smiled and held up his right hand, fingers outstretched. Two glittering championship rings adorned his middle and ring fingers. The point finally clicked home. Quentin nodded. Don Pine wasn't the enemy. The man was trying to help him, probably had been all along. Quentin had trouble getting his thoughts around the concept. No one had ever helped him before, not without wanting something in return. And Pine not only wanted nothing, he had everything to lose by helping Quentin. The more Pine helped, the more likely he was to lose his starting job. It just didn't make any sense. And Pine was an expert on the subject, proof positive being his two Galaxy Bowl wins. Quentin realized that he'd been a damn fool. He had one of the greatest players to ever play the game, trying to help him, and he'd treated that help like some kind of underhanded trick. Pine, why are you doing this? Why am I doing what? Why are you helping me? Pine looked confused. Well, because you need it. Why else? Yeah, but, you know, if you help me, and if I get better... Pine nodded. Oh, now I understand. I'm helping you because you're on my team. Do you get that yet? I need a backup that can win games. Besides, my career only has a few years left. I know that. It'd be nice to, uh, you know, well, have someone to teach. Someone to, man, I don't know. Someone to carry on the Don Pine tradition? Pine smiled. Sure, that works. Someone to carry on the Don Pine tradition. Thank you, Quentin said, extending his right hand, which Pine shook. I've got an idea on how to take your advice. Pine nodded and hobbled away in his crutches. Quentin stood and finished removing his armor. He pulled on a robe, then hit the service button in his locker. Massal the efficient appeared as if out of thin air. You rang, sir. Massal, I've had it with these nanite showers. Is there a problem, sir? No problem some steaming hot water won't fix. Get Shizzle in here immediately, then take me to the key locker room. Quentin, are you sure you want to do this? They have been known to eat humans, you know. Shizzle flew in small circles around Quentin's head. Just be quiet until I need you to translate. Massal led Quentin and Shizzle into the key locker room. Key eyes take in a larger spectrum of light than human eyes. Consequently, only a few purple lights provide any illumination. So watch your step. The key locker room was dark and hot and humid enough to compete with the geothermal steam baths back on Stewart. Goodwill or no goodwill, there was no denying that the place stank. He thought the pre-game key odors were bad, but his nose let him know that those were nothing compared to the post-game scents. Smelled like rotten fish mixed in with decomposed chicken guts. Quentin ignored the smell and followed Masal to the back. Quentin heard the hiss of water jets, and his skin tingled in anticipation. He suddenly realized it had been weeks since he'd had a real shower. Massal opened a door and bowed as Quentin passed. 
Steam billowed out of the open door and up onto the ceiling, making hazy purple clouds where it crossed in front of the dim lights. Quentin stood at the open door for one second, swallowed, and stepped through. One step inside the door, he stopped cold. If he had somehow accidentally stumbled upon a scene like this, he probably would have turned and run. This was far worse than any holy man propaganda horror holo he'd seen back home. A deep pool of water sat in the middle of the circular room. The low lights made the water look black. Dozens of showerheads ringed the ceiling, angling water down to the mass of creatures bundled up in the pool's center. They sat there, a giant entwined ball of worm-like bodies, multi-jointed legs, pinkish mouths lined with black teeth, muscular multi-jointed arms, orangish skin without end, and thousands of reddish-brown spots of enamel each wet and glistening like a black ruby. They looked like a coiled, multi-headed dragon straight out of the holy book. As a kid, Quentin had seen educational movies of snakes. There was a strange mating practice for earth snakes, where hundreds of them twisted into a giant, writhing pile of skin and scales and mucus. That's what the key cluster reminded him of. Only these snakes were 12 feet long, and could bench-press 1,300 pounds. They didn't turn their heads to look when he came in. They didn't have to. Their unblinking black eyes let them see everything at once. The ball of body seemed to move, to slide just a bit, and one figure slithered out of the pack. The long, thick body splashed water out of the pool and onto the tile floor as it moved slowly towards Quentin. Oddly enough, he instantly recognized the oncoming key. Maybe they didn't all look alike after all. Great. Mumo Killui is the welcome wagon. The temperamental rookie walked up until he was only a few inches from Quentin, then barked out words in his guttural language. He wants to know what you think you're doing here. Quentin swallowed. There was a whole room of them, and he was dressed in only a robe. He wanted to leave, but he wanted to win even more. Two losses were enough. This is the only room with water showers. Shizzle started translating before the second word was even out of his mouth, and he finished only a fraction of a second after Quentin stopped. Uh, he says you should go. Quentin stepped to Mumokilowee's right, gently shouldering past the huge key as he did. The boldness of the move seemed to surprise the key, for it was a full second before Quentin sensed the lineman reaching out for him. Quentin avoided the multi-jointed arms by quickly diving into the water. The water was damn near scalding, but it felt miraculous against his skin. He arched and swam upward, his face breaking the surface only a few feet from the giant ball of alien lineman. Mumokiloe roared and started splash towards Quentin, but Kilioet, the left tackle, barked one short, definitive syllable. <laughs> Mumokiloe stopped short of Quentin, stared at him for a second, then slithered back into the ball. Kilioet says you can stay. Quentin kicked back to the pool's edge, draping his arms in the tile and letting his body sink into the hot water up to his chest. Water sprayed down on his closed eyes and smiling face. The wet heat felt wonderful on his bruised body. Maybe his effort to bond with the key lineman would work. Maybe it wouldn't, but at least he'd get a decent shower out of the thing. 
and welcome to the Galaxy Sports Network GFL Roundup, brought to you by Orion Jump Drives. I'm your host, Cobb Bostas. Week 3 League Roundup. Can anyone stop Condor Adrian? Maybe, but that team certainly isn't the Ionith Krakens, 1-2, and two, who let Adrian throw for 340 yards and 3 touchdowns on a 22 of 32 passing. Adrian's Wittock Pioneers, 3-0, torched the Ionith Krakens for a 35-10 win. So will Adrian be stopped? If so, it might be this week when the Pioneers travel to the Glory War Pigs, 3-0. The Pigs remain tied for first thanks to a narrow 14-12 win over Orbiting Death, 2-1. The Death couldn't manage a touchdown against the War Pigs defense, which ranks first in all of Tier 2. Finally, a win on the home planet as the Quit Survivors 1 and 2 defeated the Big Diggers 1 and 2, 29 to 24. Shelb Stalkers 2 and 1 got back into the playoff hunt with a 19-14 win over the Grown Talk Hydras 1 and 2, and the Woo Wall Crawlers 1 and 2 notched their first victory of the season with a 42-6 drubbing of the winless Sky Demolition 0 and 3. Deaths. This week we mourn the passing of two players, demolition defensive lineman Coke Othala and big diggers receiver Martinsville. Martinsville died on a clean hit by survivors defensive back Topinabe, and Coke Othala died during a fumble pileup. The league has not ruled it a clean death and is still investigating, although no wall crawlers player has yet to be fined. And now it's time for Quasar Sports Drinks Player of the Week, brought to you by Quasar Sports Drinks, introducing their new flavor, Rocktopi Red. In offense, we got Condor Adrian, quarterback, Wittock Pioneers, 22 of 32, 340 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And for defense, Yala the Fighter, linebacker, Sky Demolition, 11 tackles, two sacks, and a fumble recovery. And that's the Galaxy Sports Network GFL Roundup, brought to you by Orion Jump Drives. If you want to get there before you leave, put your trust in Orion Jump Drives. I'm Cobb Bostas, and for everyone here at GFL Studios, thank you for listening. Three hours after the game, the 1-2 and Ionath Krakens began shuttling back up to the touchback. Yasud had managed, somehow, to cram in two hours' worth of parting at a bar called Inside the Bear. He and Tom Perilous showed up in time for the last shuttle, drunk enough that they could barely walk, but not so drunk that they couldn't sing My Girl from Baker 6 at the top of their lungs. Quentin felt sore all over, and he knew it was only a harbinger of things to come the next morning. Yet the hot soak in the key pool had lifted his spirits. It's a game. What goes on off the field is as much of a game as what happens on the field. He'd been thinking about it all wrong. He hadn't needed to bond with his teammates back in the PNFL because he'd been good enough to win games almost single-handedly. But in the GFL, even at Tier 2, everyone was good. These players were the best a Galaxy had to offer. The game, his new game, would be making them play as a team. He stood on the launch platform, gazing up at the ever-twilight sky of Port Wittock. He sensed someone approaching. Quentin turned to find himself facing the squat, powerful form of a quith warrior, Shyat the Thick, the backup right outside linebacker. He played behind John Tweedy, which meant that he didn't play much at all. Tweedy rarely came out of the game, thanks to his skills at defending both the run and the pass. Hello, Quentin. You played well today. Thanks. It wasn't enough. Quentin realized that this was the first time Shayat had ever spoken to him. Shayat's carapace was a deep, silvery black. A painted unit insignia adorned his left shoulder. Under the insignia were horizontal lines, each of which, Quentin had learned, represented a combat mission. Shayat's lines ran from his insignia almost to his wrist. 
enameled graphics covered his carapace, the most prominent of which was a Kraken's logo emblazoned across his midriff. On his back was an earth crab wearing a crown and holding a football, the logo of the Yucatan Sea Kings, a Tier 3 team. A ring of white surrounded Shayat's single eye, making him look even more bug-eyed than Hokor or any of the other Quith. But they didn't call him Shayat the Thick for nothing. Layers and layers of powerful muscles graced his frame. His pedipalps were so heavy they looked like John Tweedy's arms, and Shyatt's thick arms were so thick they might have been Tweedy's huge legs. Shyatt wore a backpack that looked to be completely stuffed. We have to win next week. That we do. Do you, uh, do you like money? It seemed a strange question, but straightforward enough. Yeah, I like money just fine. Do you want to make more? Quentin said nothing but he suddenly knew what was coming next. The dark underbelly of the GFL had avoided him. Until now, it seemed. Shyatt reached behind himself with his left pedipalp and patted the backpack. This is all juniper berries, worth a fortune on Ionath. Human races control gin production. They drive up the price. But the workers will pay big money for raw juniper berries. They crush them and mix them with fermented digestive acids from Colowax. It's kind of an insect back on Quiff. I thought juniper berries were illegal. They are. Very illegal. But the system police can't search us, remember? If they do, the Kretorakians might pull Port Widdock's GFL franchise rates. You know what would happen to the local government if they did? Quentin shrugged. There would be riots. Beings love football. Basically, whatever we can carry in our backs is ignored. Quentin nodded, wondering what a bulging backpack of processed opium might be worth back on Stewart. I've got the berries, mesh, weed, heroin, sleepy, conant root, you name it. Everything that's selling back home. So why are you telling me this? I got a nice little pipeline going. Every away game, I bring out a load of money. My contacts bring me a load of juniper berries, which I buy and bring with me when we go back to Ionath. On Ionath, berries go for five to ten times what I paid for them, depending on supply. At least a 500% markup, eh, Chief? That's not bad. I want to make more. If you carry a shipment next time, you'll get half the profit. Why only half? My contacts, my network. Quentin nodded. I guess that's fair enough. So you're in? Quentin shook his head. I'm not in. I don't want any part of your smuggling ring. You got that? And if you ask me again, you and I are going to go a few rounds. Shyatt's pedipalps twitched in laughter. You think you could even go one round with me, human? Quentin nodded. Maybe, maybe not. But if you don't get out of my face, we're sure going to find out. He stared with cold-hearted disdain at the larger alien. Shyatt turned and walked away. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.